This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. In China, this is very exciting if you're a big, um, I don't know if you're a big uh, Xi Jinping fan, but he's uh, he's been given, I'll take that as a no, he was given um, an unprecedented, any any MPs, any wink, just wink, wink real quick at the radio if you're, if you're headed um, into work today. Um, he was handed an unprecedented third term as China's president. That's amazing. That's great. That's great. He's become China's most powerful leader in uh, in declarations. And he was given, um, by the way, was there an election? No, no, of course not. But he got another five years as head of the Chinese Communist Party and the military. So those are two pretty significant leadership positions. You know, I really thought he was going to not get another five years of running a uh, communist dictatorship and uh, and being a uh, military strongman. I really wasn't sure because there were so many protests about the zero COVID policy. I really thought that the voters, of which there are none, um, not for very long anyway. If you say you'd like to vote, you won't be uh, you won't be um, anywhere around very long under Xi Jinping. But but he gets another five years. So this you know high five, the, the celebrate. This is great. Um, yesterday it was documented in, uh, Ottawa, how difficult it is to move Chinese diplomats out already in Canada. Does this sound kind of spyish? If you're not into spies, is this really, really interesting to you? Well, I don't know whether it is or isn't. I, I'm not you, but I will tell you this. I thought it was notable yesterday. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie was testifying yesterday and she said, well, she actually denied a visa to a suspected Chinese political operative last fall. Now, she did note it's tough to expel diplomats that are already in Canada unless there's evidence of foreign interference. By the way, there is evidence of foreign interference. There's evidence of foreign interference being known by the federal government, or at least aspects of it. There's also evidence that at least one MP, and maybe more, knew knew that this was the case. We're what? 11, 12 days removed from finding out that our best spies, our best investigators, undercover and otherwise, went to the federal government and said, look, we know there's an election coming up for you guys and gals, but uh, you've got a compromised candidate. And worse than that, he knows he's compromised. He is getting money. He's getting funding. He's getting huge gravitational support from Beijing and the aforementioned Xi Jinping. And we're telling you this right now to give you the option not to run him out there and let him become uh, one of our, uh, our, our an influential politician. And what it looks like to me and what it looks like to many now at this point is the Canadian government simply shrugged their shoulders and said, cool, thanks for the heads up. And that was that. This exchange happened yesterday uh, between Melanie Jolie and uh, conservative MP Michael Cooper. Some people didn't like that he uh, he did a couple things during this uh, process. Um, there was definitely some mocking. I'd rather there wasn't that. Just ask the questions. Well, the audience that way that way you can stay on the safe side of being judged. But conservative MP Michael Cooper couldn't do that. This is a day after, by the way. Uh, Pierre Polyev said to his caucus, "Keep it on the straight and narrow. Be careful who you meet with. Careful who you have lunch with. Kind of careful what you say. Like like the ball is in the court." of the conservatives right now. Don't screw it up. Don't screw it up and make you the story. Michael Cooper might have been absent from that meeting. I don't know. 
He said he wasn't being sexist. He marked a Mel- uh, mocked Melanie Jolie uh, making a comment because she said, I stared into the eyes of, uh, of the foreign affairs minister of China and I talked tough with him. And, uh, and the exchange uh, featured basically Cooper uh, saying, you even stared into his eyes. I'm sure he was very intimidated. She didn't like that. Not one bit. And a few other MPs also said that's an inappropriate comment. The NDP MP, Rachel Blaney, got involved and said she thought the comment was sexist. MP Jennifer O'Connell calls the comments demeaning. Well, they're certainly demeaning and they border on sexist. Why walk up to the border? Where's the win, as I always say? Where's that win? Here's some of a further exchange between Cooper and Jolie. How is it that the Globe and Mail and Global News have information based on their review of CSIS documents about significant interference by Beijing in the 2019 and 21 elections. But you, as Minister of Foreign Affairs, know nothing. How is that possible? Well, when it comes to activities of foreign actors in the country, the Foreign Affairs Minister was not made aware. And since then, I've made sure that that changed, that that would not be the case, because obviously, as everybody around this table would be aware, you've, you've it asked is important. To be brief. Can, you, were, you didn't know anything in December. Can I but- just finish my sentence, please, Michael? We've all been there. I mean, we've all been the sentence interrupter and we've all been the uh, sentence interruptee. But it tells you where the tension is right now. I'm not saying it's an easy job right now to be uh, the foreign minister and have to tackle China. Look, nobody's done a terribly good job here. And the liberals now are even winding the clock back even further and saying when Stephen Harper was prime minister, where was the where was this pushback against China? Admittedly, there's very definitive audio of Aaron O'Toole saying I'd cancel a free trade agreement with China. We have to get tougher on China. We got to get tougher on their human rights, tougher on the genocide committed against the Uyghurs, which obviously uh, Canada's liberal party has had a really tough time letting spill out of their mouth. Also yesterday, um, I don't I don't know how this ends up happening, but then again, I do. A liberal MP, uh, Ruby Sahota, um, said there shouldn't be a public inquiry into election interference because money? Like, that's that's the argument. It would cost money to have a public inquiry into election interference. Suddenly, the party that is not terribly worried about who spent a night in a 6,000-pound hotel suite for the Queen's funeral... Suddenly, a party that's not worried about Governor General Mary Simon living the large life, hundred thousand dollar in flight catering bill. Like these aren't these aren't made up things. There's data. There are receipts for this. Here's some of what Ruby Sahota said about the process. So, public inquiry, the cost. I was saying the cost. The cost of just the public inquiry that's being done regarding the Ottawa LRT. The LRT for Ottawa, and that is. A small issue in comparison to foreign interference. Maybe, maybe some Ottawa members of Parliament would have, you know, might disagree. They might think that that's the end-all, be-all issue um, of importance. But the LRT doesn't even run, from my um, knowledge of it. And then Sahota went on to document, again, this is, she's not just apples and oranges, she's apples and limes. And she wasn't finished. At about, um, or the last time I could find a calculation, last November, so November of 22, so as of November 2022, the 
public inquiry that has is being done for the Ottawa LRT has cost $14.5 million. $14.5 million. I, I think that's going to make it hard for the Conservatives to sleep tonight. I really do, because I know that they are fiscally responsible, or they at least claim to be fiscally responsible. Okay, she's not even very good at being sarcastic. Um, I get where she's going with that. Now she's worried about the cost of things. The federal Liberal Party is now worried about how much things cost. Did you get that? And again, you're comparing apples and limes, not apples and oranges. Who stayed $6,000 a night on a hotel room in London? The government's not investigating some, what, $20 billion in COVID payments. They could track that down easily because people have addresses and emails and bank accounts. And she's worried about $14.5 million to figure out why the LRT in Ottawa is so screwed up. The plot thickens. The drama continues. There's a lot of people that don't want this being looked into. Ruby Sohota, Liberal MP, is one of them. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Yesterday in Ottawa, um, we had a, a hearing with uh, some soccer stars from the women's team. There uh, was, and I watch I watch this team, and this team is so inspirational, and how far they've come, and what they've done to, to change the game, change conversations. Janine Becky. Sophie Schmidt, Quinn, and Christine Sinclair all testifying before the Standing Committee on Canadian Heritage. We'll talk to Anthony Housefather from that committee about 10 minutes from now. What I saw was more a, a, a pay dispute and a working conditions dispute. I don't think this is really about soccer at the grassroots level. This is the women wanting more transparency from the organization. And if anything, they defended the men. Some, I think somewhere in the media, we've pitted this as women against men. The men got this to go to Qatar and and got this to go to the World Cup, right? And the women are saying we should get the same thing to go to Australia, New Zealand this summer. And they should. And I bet they will, especially now. And if they don't, it certainly is worth pointing out. Um, There should be pay equity among the men's and women's national teams. Now, you can't create. Here's where you can't create pay equity, and I'll explain this in a sec. Here's some of what Janine Becky said yesterday, and uh, Becky and Sinclair were the stars of the show. Like they're mad, they're furious because some of this is about transparency and just plain respect rather than dollars and cents. We believe that what was talked about in good faith bargaining between our players association and the association should have stayed between the players association and the Canadian Soccer Association. So we feel quite disrespected that it wasn't um, respected that it stayed behind closed doors before that agreement was actually signed. And there were terms and numbers and pieces of what was in their statement today that has not even been communicated to us. Um, So that was a bit of a shock to us. Yeah, uh, here's what Canada Soccer did yesterday. They put out a statement hours before the testimony was supposed to take place saying, here's what we're offering, and it sounds pretty damn good to us. Like, that's kind of a dirty trick. They're well within their rights to do it, but I'm well within my right, and many other commentators are, to say, you're trying to steal the spotlight away from this testimony. Why the testimony will make you look bad? Why are they testifying in the first place? Because you've dropped the ball on this over and over and over. Now, um, here's I, I want you to hear Christine Sinclair talk about how personally disrespected she felt throughout this process. On a personal note, I've never been more insulted than I was by Canada Soccer's own president, Nick Bontis, last year as we met with him to discuss our concerns. 
I was tasked with outlining our compensation ask on behalf of the women's national team. The president of Canada Soccer listened to what I had to say and then later in the meeting referred back to it as, quote, what was it Christine was bitching about? To me, this spoke volumes about the lack of respect Canada Soccer has for its women's national team. As a team, we do not trust Canada Soccer to be open and honest as we continue to negotiate for not only fair and equitable compensation and treatment, but for the future of our program. That's really something. Look, I, I bet you it's not the worst thing she's ever heard, but I do, because people documented that. That's the worst thing you've ever heard, playing professional sports. I bet you it's not. But she expects somebody will have her back within your own organization. She's the greatest superstar we've ever had. She may be our greatest female athlete ever in our country's history. So it's the people you work with, for, beside, that you expect to have your back. I'm sure, again, we've all heard worse things said about us. But I would, you know, I'd be feel completely disrespected if an ally at at my workplace or a close personal, um, you know, friend said something negative about me. Then I would a random human being. I mean, athletes get heckled all the time. Athletes get hassled and harassed all the time. Doesn't make it right, but it makes it factual. Here's where I don't know where this is going to go. How do you propose? How do you define what compensation is? Is it gate receipts? Is it how many people watch the games? Is it sponsorship revenue? Is it tournament revenue? I'm willing to make the absolute case, and I would have from the beginning, that the men and women should be should have expenses and fees and rewards for what they bring in um, covered equally. Absolutely. How do you handle something like the World Cup? And let me give you an example of what I mean. The men's FIFA World Cup generates $7.5 billion in global revenue. The women's will do, will generate $440 million. The women's is growing. Likewise, though, is the men. And if the concept is split that prize money equally, what do you do? And I ask this because if Canada had made, let's say the men had made the round of 16 at the World Cup. Let's say they get out of their group, right, with Belgium and Croatia and Morocco. And they get out. They get $13 million as a team. Well, now the women would get $6.5 million of that. Um uh, that's that's the arrangement that the United States has right now. If the women win the World Cup this year, they're expecting the revenue at the Women's World Cup to be about $50 million. But the winner is going to get yeah about 15% of that. So let's say they get $6 million. So FIFA's awarding the women $6 million for winning the World Cup. The men get more than double that just for making it to the round of 16. I don't make the rules. I'm just telling you what they are. And I'm telling you what the revenue associated with this is. So how do you make that equal? I don't have a good answer for that. I don't know how that's going to work. I know the men signed on in the United States, so you can imagine. The women watch the men play the Netherlands in the round of 16, and they're like, win. That's good for us. I think that can create camaraderie, but is that going to create some economic tension? Anthony House, father, Liberal MP, next. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. A listener said, run down those numbers again, so I will, uh, for what you get for um, what, what gets put into the FIFA World Cup pool. The men generate $7.5 billion in global revenue. Uh, the women generate $440 million. If the men um, going to Qatar had got to the round of 16, They'd have got $13 million as a team to share amongst themselves. But the concept now is, and the United States is doing this with their men and women, 
is you go to the World Cup, you go, you earn $13 million. You, there's some expenses involved, but the bottom line is the men's team gets 50%. The women get 50%. Then the men will watch the women go to the World Cup, and if they win, we're talking maybe getting $6, 7000000 million. The men get half of that. Um, that's pay equity. I think you can – that's a lot to make up, but if the teams agree on it, that's the way forward. I think when we talk about equality, we're not talking about leagues because that is all based on – business revenue and advertising and sponsors and whatnot. There's a reason that the WTA got to the point with with parity with the ATP on the tennis tour because it was finally deemed as many people are as interested in women's tennis as men's. And there has to be a baseline. But I think the the concept that the Canadian women brought yesterday was we just want we want the same hotel rooms. We want the same travel. We want the same food. We want the same access to physiotherapists. And they haven't been getting that from Canada soccer. Not even close. Anthony Housefather is a liberal MP and he was on the the Heritage Committee um, quizzing the uh, four Canadian soccer players yesterday. And he's kind enough to join Toronto today. It's great to have you on. Thanks very much for making the time again. Ah, thank you so much, Greg. Anytime. What were your big takeaways um, from these four players? Um, that and maybe something new that you learned that you weren't sure you would learn before yesterday. I think the main things that I got uh, as takeaways were number one: there's a complete lack of transparency from Canada Soccer. Uh, the women don't know what the revenues actually are. They've never seen the contract with Canadian Soccer Business, um, and they are have no input into board affairs. So. There's a lack of transparency, but there's also a lack of governance. Neither the men's team nor the women's team seems to have any meaningful participation in decisions made by Canada Soccer. They have no representation on the board. And I was pretty shocked when the women said that the board has never consulted them on anything. Uh, I mean, that, that, that's pretty amazing. I mean, these are not age group players. These are adults. I mean, Christine Sinclair, you know, is in her late 30s by now. I mean, this, 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 is, this is amazing. When they, when they hired Brett Priestman as head coach a couple of years ago, nobody talked to anybody on the women's team about what they were looking for in a head coach. Nobody included them on the selection committee. This is, this is very odd. I think there was an extra tone to the players yesterday, uh, Anthony, given Canada soccer had been so non-transparent. And then all of a sudden yesterday, three or four hours before their testimony lays out some some guidelines, negotiations. And as Janine Becky said, we, we've never, ever been spoken to about some of these conditions and offers and perks. And it, it just to me, this is me saying this, it felt like a bit of a, a bit of dirty pool before they're about to testify to take the spotlight and the, and the, and the, uh, the glare away from them and the spotlight away from the players. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a poor communications decision by Canada Soccer. I think somebody there convinced everybody it would be a brilliant idea to um, have the Heritage Committee um, see that before the players came, there was actually some real concrete offer on the table. But instead, of course, they had never communicated to the women's team. We found out that uh, Charmaine Crooks has never contacted the women's team since she became president, which is pretty surprising to me because you would think that the new president would rush out to try to fix the relationship that had been seemingly broken. Um, and it just seemed like, you know, something that was a, a very gauche kind of thing to do. Anthony Housefather is our guest on Toronto Today. I, I, and I think the the ask, these are professional soccer players that play for organizations and, and they know the drill. Janine Becky's played for uh, the legendary Manchester City. Christine Sinclair is playing in Portland right now. They can look at their contract, know what they're getting and, and know what the incentives are. And that's transparency. You, you don't always get to know how no, nobody really gets to know how their employer makes all the sausages. But you've got more information and more intel. And, and it was clear their frustration was boiling over that they've had none of that with Canada soccer. 
Uh, absolutely. It was very, very clear that they feel that they've been treated in a condescending way. They feel that they haven't been treated fairly or transparently. Um, as you mentioned, it seems that the women's team uh, has been treated differently from the men's team in terms of training possibilities, in terms of, uh, you know, you, you, if, if, you, if you're not able to bring all of the women to a training camp, um, and you're having coaches and trainers scrimmage with, with the national team to fill the empty spots. You're not doing a very good job in terms of giving them the opportunity to get ready for the World Cup. And, you know, last year, it was clear that Canada soccer, you know, took funds out uh, of, of, of other, you know, of contingencies to give it to the men's team to get into the World Cup. And that's great. Uh, but seemingly they forgot about the women's team need to, you know, go to the World Cup this year. And, and that seems very, very unfair, especially since our women's team is the Olympic champions. And, and, and the women players, as you know, e- even professional women players in, in women's leagues are not earning the equivalent of what men are. So it would seem that the members of the women's team would actually need the money more than the men's team. Did, well, did you? I was going to ask, did you change your perception of where the men are at? Because I, I worry sometimes the media, some media have pointed this as or pitted this as the women's team against the men's team. The men are ready. The men are ready to sign up this agreement. Yeah. As I mentioned, some of the, the, the there's nothing um, your committee, there's nothing Canada Soccer can do about the FIFA prize money per tournament because that is based on revenue generated. But the men are quite OK with the idea of, of a revenue share and, and everybody will get theirs at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. I mean, so so number one, I think it's very important that nobody considers the fact that we invited the women's team to be a slight to the men's team. The women's team have specific issues right now that I know the men's team actually support them in the overall goals. Nobody here is looking as making the men's team um, the villain here. Uh, The the men's team, it should be equally aggrieved in certain ways, because when we look at governance, Mm. the men's team has as little say over decisions made by Canada soccer as the women's team. The end result, in my view, is that recommendations that our committee is going to make have to deal with both the transparency and governance for both teams, not just the women's team. I think I heard some Canadians, and you probably have as well, say, really, is this really important right now? We got a lot of big issues on our plates. We got the idea, you know, about uh, election interference as an issue, grocery prices. We had a big committee yesterday, the day before, talking to the grocery giants. But I would make the case that these this is something like a kitchen table issue. Use sports as an important issue. Look at the important work you had to do last summer with Hockey Canada. Um, I, I think it is an important issue at the end of the day. We all need our distractions and our recreations. But I, also, I think we just have to see prominent Canadians being treated fairly and equally. Well, of course, of course, I agree with you. I mean, number one, the Heritage Committee, which deals with culture, communications, broadcasting and sports, would have nothing to do with the other issues. Right. Mm-hmm. There's other committees that are studying Chinese interference into Canadian elections and grocery prices. Nobody is making the claim that the issues of safe sport are more important than those issues. But this is the role of our committee. We have many, many, many different parliamentary committees that do different things. It doesn't mean you can only do one thing at a time. So, so that argument is, is, is fallacious. And, and the second thing is, yes, it is very important that children across this country know they can go into their preferred sport and be safe and be treated fairly. And the same is true. Young women across Canada are looking at our Olympic champion women's national team and saying, what the heck? Why do I not have the same opportunities? Why is there no Canadian Women's Professional League? Well, why did, we, did, did Canada Soccer make such an effort and sign such a seemingly strange contract with TSB so that we would have a men's league, but never think about the fact that we don't have a women's league? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, so, and So I think that there's a lot of things that young women need mm-hmm. to be able to see that their government wants sport to be treated fairly to both sexes. 
Um, you tweeted nine days ago about China. China poses a significant threat to Canada and our allies. China has attempted to appear in Canadian elections and those of our allies. This must be properly investigated. We must take all steps to counter their efforts. Are we moving slowly on this? Are you hopeful we get there? To me, any MP like yourself would would not want to be sort of painted by a brush that maybe something went awry. I'd want everybody to know I went to all the right doorsteps. I talked to all the right people. I got elected the right way. And I hate for any party and any MP that there's any shadow of doubt over this. We need our elections to be fair and legitimate. So when you say we need to properly investigate this, are we doing this right now or do we need to, to speed this up? Oh, I mean, I think that this has to be an urgent priority, right? The, you know, like, like two different things. No, number one, uh, the overall issue of election interference, the government has done quite a lot of things, including setting up a National Security Committee of Parliamentarians that has access to top secret information that never existed before. I mean, there are processes now to deal with interference in elections that, that never existed, and there's a lot of them. The issue is how do we deal with the specific issue related to allegations made about the China in the 2019 and 2021 elections, and they, these have to be expedited and, and dealt with uh, transparently and clearly right away so the Canadians continue to have confidence in our electoral system. We've seen in the United States how blatant lies from Donald Trump have convinced a significant percentage of Americans our elections are not fair. We cannot allow that to happen here. There were, Dem- I, you know this, there were Democrats that said the 2016 election wasn't fair and there was a lot of interference from Russia also. So it did come from both sides. Uh, I don't think, though, that Hillary Clinton ever didn't concede the election and nobody stopped the peaceful transfer of power. I mean, they're two different things. And Hillary Clinton never went out and said our elections are are unfair. Don't vote in elections. You know, mail ballots are all cheats. You know, I mean, there's different levels. I'm not a bit, but I think it's very important that Canadians do not see this as a partisan issue and Americans don't see it as a partisan issue. In both countries, elections are fair. The, 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 The issue is... How do we deal with specific allegations related to Chinese diplomats potentially having interfered in Canadian elections? And that, again, has to be dealt with transparently. Transparently, It wouldn't have changed the overall results. But, of course, you want to know in individual ridings, did somebody get help to win a nomination? Did somebody in, in, in some isolated riding lose an election because of the fact that money came in a way that was in violation of Canadian law? And that needs to be fairly investigated for sure. Thank you for stating that. Hey, thanks very much for the time today as well. Uh, have a great weekend, and I know we'll talk soon, Anthony. I appreciate the time on the show. Have a great one. Anthony Bye. House Father joining us, Member of Parliament for Mount Royal. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. This one's pretty simple. North American Indigenous Games are scheduled for July in Halifax. James Gladus, just a great athlete. He's 12 years old. He's put the work in, put the time in trained hard, and he just came off competing at a a bunch of different events um, as an Indigenous athlete in Alberta, and he's gone to Manitoba, and he's competed there as well. His dad um, said he got a letter noting that he can't come to Halifax because he's not vaccinated. We want to talk to his father, Travis Gladden. We want to talk to the CEO of the Alberta Indigenous Games, who dropped their mandate um, earlier in late last fall to have their event. This is the only event I can think of in Canada where this is being asked for. Um, so let's chat with Jay, Jay Kendi and the dad, Travis Gladu. Let me start with you, uh, Travis. When the pandemic first happened, restrictions, understandable. Finding out there are still pandemic-related restrictions for an event this summer, you were probably pretty surprised. It was a shocker. Um, like, my son was competing at the uh, Edmonton Indoor Games, and we had thousands of kids there and you know and of course you know to go into that race 
there was no mandatory vaccination. So meanwhile, my son's competing in other mainstream races. You know, no kids are getting sick. There's no, you know, ma mandates being put on. Uh, what's been really interesting is that I'm meeting people from out of province that are competing. And, 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 and it starts from all the way from under 10, all the way up to, you know, under U18 and even the master's level for the adults. When it came to the ducking, we, we got it. Like during yeah. COVID, you know, with the kids, we had to do the whole cohorts thing and then, you know, smaller groups. And we had to adapt to that, which we were fine. And we did, and we abided by that. But now where we're at two years later, um, we've definitely made a lot of progressive steps in protecting the general public. Um, so where this stands, it, it, it doesn't really doesn't make any sense. And I just don't even see the logical factor behind it or the well, safety factor. Well, and, and Travis, let me follow up with that with you and then come back to, to Jake is is that it's not like you're crossing a border. If if this was last spring and the United States land border was open. What can you do? Or if it's or if you, a year ago you can't get on an airplane to go to Europe. What can you do? I I didn't cross the land border last year until June. I would have been ready to cross it months before. But this is in our country, and this is in a city where, like we said, there's there's been a massive you know world hockey event already. So this is very arbitrary. It it stands very much out on his own. And I'll further that point. Your son's not only competing against um, you know kids from other countries. He's competing against potentially kids who who may have had a vaccine 20 months ago, 22 months ago. And maybe they've had COVID twice or three times since then. That's just the truth. Yeah, you nailed it right there, um, you know, right on the head. And I mean, what does this come down to? And I think, you know, at the end of the day, you know, let's let cooler heads prevail. And hopefully, you know, maybe egos can be put aside or, um, you know, as well, too. I mean, you know, I'd like to know is what their logic is, because if this is indigenous teachings, from my understanding, the vaccine wasn't made by indigenous groups, nor were the COVID protocols. So they're listening to something that's not even indigenous. Like, I like to hear their, you know, if they're going to use that type of teaching and behind their logic for their, you know, decision making, because they, they, you know, and in some of the press releases or public information, they made it very clear that, you know, they're looking after their traditional. Well, I'd like to know where this is within their traditional teachings because I've gone to other elders and other elders have said, this is completely bogus. Yeah. And so, and so, and then why does such a small group, you know, based out of, you know, Nova, you know, Nova Scotia, why do they get to have a say over such a large majority of us? You know, I, I really don't think that's fair. But but what, what concerns me is that, you know, when these athletes compete, what the downer is, is almost like that asterisk is going to be over this, saying that the proper, you know, the athletes who should have been there never got to compete. And that's what they're going to yeah. be remembered for. And is that what they want to be remembered for moving on, especially that board who's the acting right now? You know I, what I mean? I do. I do. You, yeah. 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 Let, let the best play against the best and, let, and let's do it. And let's put everything else aside here. I'll just reset who we're talking guy. to. That's Travis Gladue. We're talking about his son, James, who wants to go to the North American Indigenous Games scheduled for July. He has qualified and can uh, run track at, at that event. But right now, not being vaccinated means he can't take part. And Jacob Hendy's with a CEO of the Alberta Indigenous Games. And Jacob, I think Travis hit on something right there. Um, not only do we owe a debt of of servitude to our younger people, regardless of what was done right, what what we wouldn't do again, where we are right now, but we can all we can control is the present and the future. And I wonder if you think 
we can spur, like Travis wants, some kind of conversation. Like, let's not just put a press release out and say, well, this is how they feel. Is there any sort of conversation? Is there any sort of middle ground? To, we got four months to do this. Surely there's a conversation to be had. Yeah, I think so. I think with the funders from the federal government, Sport Canada, you know, if if they could look at this and they could they could see this and, you know, that that fund the North American Indigenous Games. Um, and, and really, it's about the youth, like as CEO for Alberta Indigenous Games, you know, many of our youth come to our games every year. We had forty two hundred youth come out last year, the same amount as, as NAG, but in our in our games, and we do it every year. And it was fine. We had a big event in 2022. Everyone was fine, healthy. We didn't have a vaccine mandate in 2021. When the the stampede opened up for the eight weeks, we were open in Alberta. We had our games, no mandate. Mm-hmm. We had 2,700 show up, and then it it's grown. And a lot of our youth use our games as a training and a practice to be able to try out to go to the North American Digits Games. That's like their Olympics. And a lot of these youth, it's the only time they're going to get to get out of the province and to be able to travel to meet friends and meet other people, meet other cultures, and to see a bigger picture. And a lot of the leaders in Alberta right now that I've worked with, that are coaches, that are rec directors, they went to NAG 20, 30 years ago. They had that amazing experience. They they loved it and they want their kids to do it. And we've for these kids to be denied, especially on protected grounds, that word protect to me means you're protected, you're safe. You don't have to worry about anything. So I would have thought for sure they're going to let this is protected grounds. Didn't even give us a reason. Our own indigenous people turn them down. Well, tra- you know? Travis, I want I, I, that's so well said. And Travis, I want to give you the last word here on this because th- there there is time. There's time to have a conversation. As as Jacob says, this is this is so critical to represent your heritage, to represent your culture. But it's also it's kids having fun and it's kids in sports. And you know and I know, and Jacob knows too, and all our listeners know who have kids that play sports. You only get one crack at this. You only get to be 12 once. You only get to be 14 once. You only get to be 16 once. We, we're adults, it feels like, forever. But the, these we, we can probably all remember something cool that happened when we were 13 or a bad loss or getting kicked out of a game or a cute girl that smiled at us because we, we, we did something great. They only have the, so much time here, and, and you want to make the most of this with your kid this summer. Yeah, I mean, you know, my son was the biggest thing for him was when he won last year and took the goals and, you know, the opportunity to come up. And he, he told me and like where we come from is we're from northern Alberta and we have a lot of uh, rich, you know, First Nation and Métis heritage. I'm, you know, connected and grandfathered through both communities. So for us, you know, we come from the Métis settlements and we also have connections to Treaty 8 and the First Nation Reserve. So, um you know, so so for us, like it was a big honor, especially for my son, because he kind of gets to represent, you know, the the the, the two sides, yeah. and and really carrying that family legacy and and leadership and 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 bringing that being that voice over there, and you know, there was James has so much support behind him from his teachers, from family, colleagues, um, other competitors. Even his track coaches for his club team for for Nag um, and for school, and I mean they they've been paying attention to what's going on, and uh, you know they're all in agreement saying you know this is completely not right, um, it's an injustice, and he's been cheated out of it, you know plain and simple. And based on what logic, we still yet to find out. Okay, North American Indigenous Games scheduled for July. We'll see where this story goes. 